Well, hello and good morning. Welcome to First City. My name is Taryn Howe. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. I want to welcome everybody online. Thank you for joining us this morning. It's, uh, I was actually supposed to get up and speak the week after Easter, which seems like a really long time ago now. And I, I don't know, that was what, three weeks ago, four weeks ago? Uh, we've had, my wife and I, just to give you an update, because several people have asked, I've had about the craziest month that you could possibly have, or that we've ever had. I don't want to compare it to your crazy months, but uh, on April 3rd, so that was Saturday, we went, because we're foster parents, and picked up a newborn from the hospital uh, to care for. And then on April 4th, which was Easter Sunday, my wife, Sunday morning, woke up, was well, actually Saturday, kind of woke up, wasn't feeling good, Saturday night, and then went to the hospital, had appendicitis. Uh, she had to wait for a while at the hospital, and so her appendix ruptured. We ended up spending 17 days in the hospital. So she's here today, though, so we're very excited about that. And she probably did not want me to point that out even, but that's okay because now, you know, ask for forgiveness without permission, right? So uh, she's here. We're doing, we're doing better. You know, she's back at home and things are good and she's healing. It's still a long healing process, but uh, we're thankful that she's with us. And I know the kids, our kids are very thankful. And I just want to say thank you to all of you. Uh, we've had so many people praying for us and uh, just in countless ways, and people coming and helping with the lawn and with kids and taking kids to school and food. We have more casseroles in our freezer than you can imagine right now. So we had, even yesterday, last night, I, I get out, I'm telling the kids, like, all right, so we got to have some leftovers because we have too much food. We got to clear out, you know those meals, you just got to clear out the fridge. So we're having leftovers, and the kids are like, leftovers, you know. And then somebody I can't even make this up. Somebody knocks on our door. Well, it was Hungry Howie's. Somebody had ordered pizza for us and didn't even tell us it was from Anonymous. And so the kids are like, our prayers are answered. All right. <laughs> like, no, 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 I don't, I don't hear that. So they're like throwing the leftovers off the table and make way for pizza. And so whoever that was, thank you and no thank you at the same time. Okay. So, no, but we have been blessed in such incredible, incredible ways. And uh, we really have had the conversation of what would we do if we didn't have a church family and a community to wrap around us? And imagine if we were in this situation. So thank you for what you do. Thank you for being the body of Christ. If you're new with us this morning, this is what this church family does. And they do it very well. So thank you for serving in that way. Before we get too far into the lesson, though, this morning, let's go ahead and start off with a prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day that you've blessed us with, and thank you for our time here together this morning. God, I ask that as we get into the message this morning, that this be your message and not mine. That, Holy Spirit, you would work in the hearts and minds of every person listening, and that my words would fall short and your words would ring true, that every person would hear exactly what they need to hear for their life today. We thank you for the way that you love us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we started this series off, Jesus Is, uh, really on Good Friday it was, that's when we made this big banner back here and had everybody come and write on it. And I shared this message on Good Friday, at least the beginning of it, and this is Matthew 16 is where we're going to be a lot of today. So if you want to open your Bibles up to Matthew 16. Also, there are sermon notes in the backs of the pews, you can follow along that way if you'd rather do that. But in Matthew 16, I, I talked about this, and I'll leave a scripture here, but I just want to kind of tell it. Jesus is traveling with his disciples to Caesarea Philippi, and he 
asked them, so who do people say that I am? And the disciples give a little bit of a generic answer. It's like, well, some, some people say you're a prophet, or maybe you're Elijah, or Jeremiah, maybe John the Baptist, you know, somebody, who knows, you know, somebody. And then Jesus asked just this incredibly, incredibly important question. He says, well, who do you say I am? And that's really the question that we're asking through this series. This is, and I would argue that this may be the most important question you can ask here on earth, is who is Jesus to you? A.W. Tozer says, uh, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Because the way we think about Jesus changes everything about what we do. Our values, our behaviors, everything about it. And so Jesus asked this incredibly important question. And this is the question that we have today and through this series that we want to ask. And today, the answer that we have is Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Now, this is kind of an old like antiquated term. We don't use this a whole lot, although my kids were watching Shrek last night and Lord Farquaad, I think, and Jesse was like, see, they use it. And I was like, okay, well, come on. So other than Shrek, there's not a lot of, uh, you know, the Bible, you hear about this with Jesus in the Bible, but you don't really hear the term Lord very often. So I did you a favor. Um, I went to, there's a website, I think it's highlandtitles.com, and you can go on there and you can purchase land. This is true, I'm not making this up, okay? You can purchase land in Scotland, and even a square foot, it's $45. I know it's a lot, but, but, bear with me, you get to have the title of Lord or Lady, because if you own land in Scotland or parts of it, I don't really understand it. Go look at the website. But so if you, if you own land in Scotland, you can become a lord or lady. And apparently you can get this changed if you do this, like on your birth certificate or something crazy. I may be making that part up, but I thought that's what I read. And so I did this. So now, from now on, I would just uh, appreciate, there's probably a better way to say this. Henceforth, okay, that sounds a little... <laughs> If you would refer to me as Lord Taryn Howe or Lord Taryn the Great or humble or muscular, I don't really care. You be creative. Okay, whatever you... I didn't really do it. I lied. I'm sorry. I didn't. I, I don't. I'm way too cheap for stuff like that. There's no way. I would, I would just not do it and tell you that I did it usually. But, but we, don't, we really don't use this very often. It, it's really kind of a dated term. Probably the time that you hear it the most, I hear it in this saying sometimes, usually from maybe celebrities or athletes, it's like, well, who would you like to thank? And Well, first of all, I'd like to thank my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, right? That's a pretty common way to hear it. And that's, a, that's not a bad thing, that saying. I would say that's a good saying. My challenge to that saying would be, I think in American westernized churches, we really love the idea of Jesus being our Savior, but we don't really love the idea of Jesus being our Lord. I think there's part of us that gets a little resistant to that. It's like, I want all the good that Jesus has, and I want him to come in and save me from my sin, but I don't really want him telling me what to do, or how to change my life, or where to change my life. And I think part of this comes from just not even understanding the word. So the word, let me just go over this before we get into it. The word, I won't get too deep into the Greek here of the word and everything. The word had really two meanings for Lord in the Bible. 
The first one, Casey kind of talked about this whenever he did a couple weeks ago, Jesus is God, and that's really what it meant, that Jesus is, that Lord means divine, and so it was like this divine being, and it was actually used primarily to talk about Caesar Augustus in that day, and so when the disciples would say Jesus is Lord, they were actually committing treason against the Roman Empire, so against Caesar, but that's not what I want to talk about today. The one I want to talk about, the definition that's used, really means master, that Lord is master. Now, this one I want to approach a little cautiously because we have a lot of negative connotations with this. Because if Jesus is master the way the language is used, then those who follow him are slaves. And I know this is, this, even in our Bibles, even the way it's translated, most of the time the word, original word for slave, doulos, is translated into servant or bondservant, and it's a way... I don't want to say it's watered down, but maybe that's the best way to say it because it really means a slave of Jesus Christ. And the New Testament authors totally understood this. This, was not, this wasn't strange to them. They knew that even the language that we have been redeemed by Jesus' blood, that redemption is slave language, that we have been bought with a price, and that price is Jesus' blood. And the New Testament authors, they totally got this. I, I, just, I want to give you a couple examples of this just so you can understand the word before we get into explaining the word too much and how Jesus is Lord and what this looks like. So James, James the half-brother of Jesus because they had the same mom and then Jesus had God as dad. And Okay, you understand that? So half-brother of Jesus. In his book, he wrote a short book near the end of the New Testament. And whenever he starts off to introduce himself, he does not say, this is James, half-brother of Jesus, I'm one of the leaders in the church, you know, I, I got it going on, anything like that. He says, this letter is from James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm like, wow, if you can get your half-brother to say that, that's pretty impressive, right? And then, and then you go and you look at Paul. Well, it's like, did Paul understand this? Because and Paul could have introduced himself as I'm the greatest missionary this world has ever known for Jesus. And, you know, he could, he could have said all kinds of things. And, and he goes in and he says, this letter is from Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus. Okay, so Paul got this too. He understood this relationship. And then Peter, Peter, you know, he could have said, I'm the, I'm the rock. On, Jesus called me rock on what the church is being built and... No, this letter is from Simon Peter, a slave and apostle of Jesus Christ. It says it again, Philippians 1.1, when Paul and Timothy are introduced, Paul's introducing Paul and Timothy there. Jude says this too. This is common language of the Bible that we actually just don't hear a lot. It, it, I, and I, I don't really understand why we don't hear a lot. We should hear a lot. This is common language of the Bible. So much so, uh, even in Galatians 6.17, Paul talks about, and you may want to write that down because I don't even have that in the notes, Galatians 6.17. Paul talks about, I bear these scars because he faced so much extreme persecution. I bear these scars, and it stood as, that word scars was like the stigmata, which isn't a negative thing, but it meant a branding that a slave would get to show who they belong to. He said, these scars are my sign to you that I belong to Jesus Christ. I mean, Paul totally understood this. He understood, along with the other New Testament authors and disciples, that when I follow Jesus, I no longer am following the master of this world. I'm moving on to a different master, and they were happy to do it because this master is perfect. Jesus is perfect. 
Who wants to follow a master that's going to die for them, right? Who loves them that much? It's easy to follow that. And they, they got this completely. And, and my concern in this is that when we don't talk about it, we kind of give a different message with this. They did a study at UNC. They, they went out to all these churches and studied really what y- the younger generation around high school, college age was being taught in churches. And they went through thousands of sermons and thousands of <laughs> students, and they interviewed them, listened to the sermons, and they came up with what they believed they were being taught, and they gave it a name. I have to <clears throat> look at it because I forgot. Oh, therapeutic moralistic deism is the name they gave what they're being taught. This is therapeutic moralistic deism. So they're being taught that Jesus is a really good person and that he has some good things for you. And if you listen to him, ultimately, probably the best word is that Jesus is a great life coach. And my challenge is, although he does have the best advice you can ever follow, Jesus is not our life coach. He's our Lord. And the reason this is so important to understand that I bring this up is because when you read the words that Jesus spoke, a lot of them are, they're difficult words. I mean, I, I read this morning out of Luke 14 about counting the cost of following Jesus. They're difficult words. But when Jesus has words, they're not suggestions. It's not life coach suggestions. These are, when he says a command, it's a command from your master, right? And so following Jesus looks very different than maybe what's in our mind for what it is. And I, I just want to give you a good perspective on that. And I, Jesus himself, I'll show you his words of what he says too about this. So just a little bit further down in Matthew 16, if you're still there, you can go down to Matthew 16, 24 through 26. And we'll read this together. Then Jesus said, so this is just a little bit later in that same one when Jesus said, well, who do you say that I am? Then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must, and I don't want to fill that in yet, because I just want you to imagine what, you know, sometimes we're taught that maybe he would say, you must say the right prayer or go to the right church or make sure you live slightly more moral than the rest of the world around you or, you know, what what are all the things? And I'm going to tell you what he says is difficult. It's, it's a difficult thing to take in. He tells us three main things. You must give up your own way. Now, sometimes we read these things and we just, we can like fly by them here and we kind of miss what's really being said. Jesus says we have to give up our own way. We have to take up your cross, which just so you know, the disciples at this time really understood what that meant. They would, walk, they would see crosses that were put up. Jesus wasn't the first person to be crucified. They knew what that meant, and follow me. Jesus never says that, hey, this is some real easy path I have for you, and it's all going to be, you know, sunshine and butterflies and rainbows after this, right? He's like, this, this is difficult. He goes on to say, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? 
So I want to break down a little bit what Jesus says here because I think this is difficult. I want to slow down and, and really look into it. And I've put my own words with it, and my own words are not going to be as good as Jesus' words. So just you can ignore mine if you want and follow his. But I, I have this at the bottom of your notes too. So the first thing that I have is this give up the three things that Jesus says. If you want to follow me, this is what you have to do. He gave three very clear things. Give up your own way. I've labeled this desire. It might be better to say identity even. But your desire, get, be willing to give up your desire even to Jesus. And this is so incredibly countercultural because right now our world would say your desire is what makes you who you are, especially when they're talking about your sexual desire. Our, uh, this is something our, our middle school and high school students are hearing all the time. And the world says what you desire becomes who you are. And Jesus says, no, you desire evil things. Give up your desire. You got to take on my desire for your world and for your life. Uh, even as far as it, it, it plays into your, really your identity uh, and what the world is trying to tell you. Uh, we had this example just earlier this week. My oldest son is 14 and he likes to go and play basketball at Gold Point. It's not far from our house. You, don't, you may not know where that is. That's fine. But he likes to go and play basketball. And he came in, and my wife and I were sitting there. And he just said, hey, can we go? Can I go play basketball? I'm gonna, I'll be back in a little bit. And we're like, that's fine. And Jesse says, yeah, but remember who you are. And he, he was like, well, okay, whatever. And he started walking out. And she was like, no, 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 no. Come back in here for just a second. You know, and he's like, oh, mom. You know, 14-year-olds. It's like. Come on, Four, that's, a, that's, a, that's a year right there, 14. Anyways, yeah, that's a, that's a different sermon for another time. Y'all pray for me. Okay, so, no, he's wonderful. He's wonderful. And he came back in. He said, no, no, who, what are you? I need you to know what you are because you're going to get there and you, you might have other things that you want to do, other desires that you want to do. And because it's not always, uh, not that the crowd there is bad, but that doesn't mean that we want him to follow everything that he sees around him, right? Any parent totally gets that. Uh, so... I, I, and so remember what you are, and, and so we're like, okay, what are you? And he's like, I'm a child of God. Okay, and there, you know, he just really, you know, in real 14 attitude, and we're like, that's right, you remember, you know, and you want to tell him, but that's what we want our kids to, to move on with, and what we should is that every circumstance, my desires, I have submitted to the Lord. The things that I want to do don't even matter, which is, is so crazy to, to the world around us. The things that I want to do, I submit to Jesus. The next thing, take up your cross. I'm calling this quality. The quality of your life, you submit to the lordship of Jesus. Now, this is, an, this is another one I know the world has a hard time with, but this really is about, you know, we, it's really easy to follow Jesus when everything is going great. You know, when there's money in the bank and everybody's, everybody's happy and healthy and kids are making good grades and not being crazy and they're not, you know, 13 or 14 that age. And, and you know, everything is easy, is easy to follow Jesus when everything is going great. And then the moment it's not when, uh, you know, cancer comes in and poverty comes in and death comes in, it's, it's, it's much more difficult. It's the same, you know, many scholars believe the same people when Jesus was coming into Jerusalem and 
you know, this Palm Sunday, they laid off the palm branches, and Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, and they're saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, and they're praising his name, were the same people who were saying, crucify him a couple of days later. It's because they didn't really make Jesus Lord. They thought, well, he's got something for me, and he's got some things that I, I'm, I, I want a part of, and I can take in, but Jesus isn't a vending machine, okay? He's He's Lord. And so even the quality of our life, and the, the best example of this in the Bible, I believe, is from Job. If you haven't read Job, go read it. It's an incredible book. You hear a lot of arguing in that, so if you like that book, there's a lot of arguing going on. But Job has a great life, and, and, and it, about, it looks like a, you know, a, a very short time span in the same day, even in the same hour, uh, they, he loses everything. He loses his kids, his uh, livelihood, his, you know, he has a lot of property, he has animals, which is money, financial resources, he loses it all, even his own health, he develops boils, and so, it, it's, his life is so bad that even his friends and his wife, who are there, really, their response to him really is, you should just curse God and die, I just end it, your life is awful, obviously God hates you, God doesn't want anything to do with you, I mean, they were not great friends here. And Job's response is just really unbelievable and, and shows us what our response could or should be. In Job 13, 35, he says, Though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. Though he slay me, even if God kills me, he's still Lord. No matter what happens, what my circumstances are, Jesus is Lord. I, 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 like he, he gets my life. God is in control. To our quality. And then the last one, I'd say, is the follow me is our direction, which can be our goals and ambitions, the things that we chase after, even if they don't make sense, they belong to Jesus. In John 6, Jesus has gotten done feeding all of these people, and he gets a big crowd following him, and then Jesus starts saying some things that the crowd doesn't really like, and so a lot of people start, they start leaving him. And the disciples are like, Jesus, what are you saying? You had a good following here. It's like, do you know what you're doing? Okay, you had a good following, and now all these people have left you. And, and Jesus really asked them, well, are you going to leave too? And the response, Peter's response, it says, Lord, uh, to whom would we go? You have the words that have eternal life. Only Jesus. E even when it doesn't make sense, we say, Jesus, you get the direction of my life. You get it all. So my, my one statement here for today is because Jesus is Lord, I will surrender the desire, quality, and direction of my life to him. Because Jesus is Lord, I will surrender the desire, quality, and direction of my life to him. So I want to kind of land on a, a couple of reasons because I've, I've given you like, okay, that's some hard stuff to do right there, Taryn. I don't, I don't know about that, but okay, so why do we do this though? I, and this is what I want to land on. And, and I really think we could have, if we say, why should we submit to the Lordship of Jesus? I think there's probably thousands of reasons. I've narrowed it down to just a few of them, but really an endless amount of reasons. But the first one, why we should submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And you know, and we, we say this is just a little side note. We, I want to make Jesus Lord of my life. 
and that's not a wrong thing to say, but I thought about that. It's like, we don't, we don't make Jesus anything. Jesus is Lord. We choose whether or not we will surrender and submit to that lordship. He is Lord either way. You know, I, I, the Bible says at some point, every, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. So why should we submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ? Because Jesus is the only hope of eternal life. That's it. He's the only hope. There, there is no other way to heaven than from Jesus. And this one, man, this is a, this is a tough one for our world to understand and take in. We, they just had... I just saw this video, and you've probably heard of the comedian Steve Harvey. He's the Family Feud guy, I guess, and he's, he's done all kinds of different things. But Steve Harvey, he said this. He just made a video on, came out January of this year, and he said, there's no one way to heaven, no one way to paradise. It's like television. Now there's over 800 channels of cable, and they're all pretty entertaining. So I'm pretty sure, man, that to get to heaven, there has to there's got to be more than one route because somebody watching another channel or taking another channel than you, they're still getting entertained and they're probably still getting to heaven. Whew. He's a funny man, but that's, that's, he's wrong, okay? That, not a great theologian. I would, uh, don't get your, you know, your facts from him. Uh, Jesus is the only way to eternal life. Uh, John 14, 6. I have several different verses here. Oh, they're all on your notes. I'm sorry. I'll read them out to you, though. But John 14, 6, Jesus told, John, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Acts 4, 12, there is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. The verses go on and on. I have some more examples on here on your notes if you want to take those. But Jesus is the only way to eternal life. And there's really no other way to swing it. And, and no matter what you hear or what you see, I, this is what Jesus says very, very clearly to us. So why else should we submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? Now this one uh, may seem a little weird at first, but submitting to the Lordship of Jesus reduces stress and anxiety. It's like, why would you put that after only way to eternal life? It seems a little less serious than that. Okay, maybe it is, but this is a problem that we have right now. In the middle of pandemic, in the middle of everything crazy is uh, people are stressed out. And I mean, and it's not, I mean, Christians are stressed out. And you may have seen this and felt this in your own life and own experiences, but I'll tell you, the ultimate stress reducer is submitting to Jesus. When he is Lord of everything, then your responsibilities really dwindle. What you have to take care of is much smaller. You're worried about your car? That's all right. It's Jesus' car anyways. If he, you know, that's his responsibility. I mean, think about it. From the perspective of he is my master, so what I have belongs to him. So does, if he wants to give me more, he can. If he wants to take away something, he can. It's all subject to him. When you're dealing with your kids and they're going crazy and you don't know what to do and you're like, I'm a terrible parent and, you know, I, I feel that way all the time. It's like, you know what? They're Jesus' responsibility. That doesn't mean that we don't have any, any obedience that we have to do, but they belong to Jesus. So ultimately, like, I'm going to do the best I can, and then, Jesus, you got it. Okay, you're Lord. Your marriage, I mean, you can, you can do this in any area of life. I actually think so, so oftentimes we have real problems that we like to blame on a lot of things, and really it's, I think it's lordship problems, is that we just don't know who we belong to or we've forgotten who we belong to and who all of our stuff belongs to. And we really have this problem in Western culture because we have so much money. I mean, really. 
we have so much money. And so we begin to get dependent on our money, and we lose our dependence on God. And it's easy, it's easier, I think, when you have less to just say, all right, God, you're going to take care of me. You said you would. And so I'm excited to see how, you know, where my next meal or, you know, uh, we, we have too much dependence on the stuff around us and not enough on God. And uh, Leonard Ravenhill, a very well-known preacher, uh, uh, he said, a slave of Christ has no ambition, so he has nothing to be jealous about. A slave of Christ has no reputation, so he has nothing to fight about. A slave of Christ has no possessions, so he has nothing to worry about. A slave of Christ has no rights, so he cannot suffer wrong. A slave of Christ is already dead, so you can't kill him. Everything we have, we submit at the foot of the cross and we give to Jesus. And it's, it's such a different way of looking at things, but this is the understanding. I, I believe this is why Jesus, whenever he sent out the 72 to go out into all these towns, and he, he told him, he's like, I don't really want you to take anything with you. It's, it's about, I want you to be dependent on me. Let me take care of it. And if we can learn to do this, the way we deal with stress in our lives, and, and I'm, I'm going to tell you uh, us going through the month that we've had with our family, this has been key in my life this month about dealing with kids and my wife's in the hospital and what do I do because, and I mean, I had several times I was like, all right, Lord, you got to figure this out. <laughs> this is on you and I'll do what you want me to do, but this is on you. And it, the, the burden is really taken off me. I'm not saying that I did this perfectly because I didn't at all. So we have to remember this daily, but God, I just got to give that all to you because I can't do it. And then Last but not least, why we should submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ because someone is already Lord over your life. There is, there is already a Lord in your life, whether you like it or not or whether you think there is or not. 1 John 5.18, I'd write that down if you can, 1 John 5.18 says, we know that we are children of God and that the world around us is under the control of the evil one. You either belong to the evil one, Satan, or you belong to Jesus. And I know there's a thought, and there's, there's probably somebody thinking right now, no, I, I'm autonomous. I make that decision, you know? Like, I'm under nobody else's control, and I, I, I think it's an illusion. I, that's, it's made very clear here. It's like, do you believe the words of the Bible? We're either following the world, which is under the control of Satan, or we give up that and follow Jesus. That's why the disciples were so okay. They understood this. They were so excited about this that we no longer are following the evil one. We're no longer following Satan. We're giving our lives to the perfect master, Jesus Christ. And so our response to this is really important. And I know that I'm always talking to two groups of people, really, any time I'm speaking. And that, you know, so I'll just address the first group is that uh, for those of you who have never given your lives to the Lord, you've never made that decision to follow Jesus, I would urge you to make that decision today. Maybe you have made that decision today, but I would urge you, give your life to Jesus. Give up following the desires of this world. Submit your life to Christ. Give him all of your life so you can experience eternal life. 
Give your life over to him. And I don't like to make some big emotional plea about this. I like to, to be, I think it needs to be a logical approach. Like you have to, you have to Jesus says you've got to count the cost of following me. What does it look like to following Jesus? And give your life to him today. It is the most important decision that you can ever make. If you do decide to do that, we would like to know about it, whether you're online or here. Uh, we have, if you're here, there's cards that you can fill out, and you can bring it up to me afterwards or put it in the orange boxes in the back, because we want to follow up with just prayer and Bible study with you, next steps in baptism, all of those things. But make that decision today to follow him. For the rest of you who have decided to follow Jesus, and maybe you're having some areas of your life where you're having some lordship problems, well, just so you know, I have those problems Every day, every day I have to get up and like, okay, God, I did it wrong again. Like, I need to surrender this part of my life to you. I got to give this over to you. And I would even look at what are the areas of your life that seem the most out of whack? Because I would say those are the areas you are trying to control the most and you need to give to God. You need to submit them to the Lordship of Jesus. And I would encourage you to do that today. As we go into a time of prayer in this last song, I always like to ask at the end of any, any message, just pray this during the prayer and during this last song. Just ask, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? What are you trying to do in my life? What, what part of the message are you trying to take in? What is God revealing to you right now? Let's go ahead and pray together.